It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, welcome to Talent Talk, and thank you so much for being here. We really enjoy every week coming together and having unique conversations with really talented and inspiring people who are thinking about work and talent and how we can make, uh, you know, if we got to go to work, we might as well enjoy it, right? And so we want to find those great stories uh, from those people that are leading us, uh, hopefully, to that inevitable conclusion. Um, I'm really excited today because, you know, every once in a while, we like to go a little off script and we will change up the format. And today is one of those days where we're going to bring on two guests at one time and have a conversation here instead of breaking it up uh, with two different guests at two different times. So uh, we get that nice little energy of having a, a conversation. And that's really how this show started was through conversations. I was going to conferences or meeting people and I would pull them aside or take them to lunch and pick their brains and ask them as many questions as I could before they went running out the door um, to find out why what they did made them successful. And what were they doing to make their company successful? And how, how were they managing their people? And over the many, many years of doing that and eventually writing a book and putting and going out, coming on the radio show, I realized it was a lot of things that we're all doing that are common truths. And there are some really cool things that maybe we don't know that we can learn from other people. And so instead of just me being the one who gets to hear all their awesome ideas and thoughts, we created this radio show so you can tune in, you can listen, you can hear, and you can even ask your own questions as well. Um, so many of the stories that we've uh, been able to learn over the years went in my first book, The Power of Company Culture. And then my next book, Remote Work, will be out here in 2021. And we'll have even more stories there. Of course, we, I've been remote. My company's been remote for since 2009, but now many of you with the pandemic had to go remote. And so we're kind of learning, all learning together on how to make that happen. Now, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, if you're tuning in live, thank you. Um, but most of you, we have to do almost 2 million downloads a year through all the different services. So it's great if you can go and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you find your your podcast, go and uh, subscribe. That way you can make sure you get alerted. Uh, anytime there's a new episode, you'll uh, you'll know when this episode has been posted and you can follow the show and more great guests. Now we do live tweet as we're going through here. So if you want to ask a question, if you happen to be listening live, you can follow at PeopleG2 on Twitter. Or if it's after the fact, that's okay too. You can go on, they can find the handles of our guests. You can get the links to their bios or books or anything else that they mentioned that was really cool and keep the conversation going, which is really the whole point of this show is for us to have a great conversation. All right, I'll stop teasing you now and I'll tell you who's on the show in case you don't know. My guests on today's show 
uh, are doctors Paul Knapper and Anthony Rayo. Hopefully I said that correctly. Uh, and they are the co-authors of The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a Life on Your Own Terms. That sounds great to me. So um, Dr. Knapper leads in a management uh, psychology and executive coaching consultancy in Boston. Uh, his client lists include Fortune 500 companies, universities, and startups. And Dr. Uh, Rayo is a nationally known expert in psychology he started his career as a psychologist at Boston's Children's Hospital uh, and for more than 20 years has been an instructor at Harvard Medical School. So let's bring these both talented and uh, uh, giant resumes in the door here. Uh, welcome, uh, both of you. Thank you for being on the Talent Talk show today. Hey, Chris. Thanks so much for having us. It's great to be here today. Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity. Yeah. Well, I love the work that you both are doing. Uh, and I love sort of the path that uh, just in the brief intro here that we sort of heard coming in and how how you uh, both have been sort of connected not only to the different parts of, of the world, I guess, from uh, uh, working in hospitals, working at the universities, but then also taking that work into, into companies. And I think that's really important. Maybe you could each kind of give us a little bit more about yourselves, uh, maybe anything I missed or it's important for us to know here for our conversation today. Uh, this is my second book. Uh, I uh, started a book on uh, an expose on medication trends in, in young boys in the United States. Um, mm -hmm. That led to a project on uh, looking at how anxiety was climbing. And uh, Paul and I uh, put our heads together on this. This is what led to the uh, agency book. If we have a little time later, we may go into detail on that. Yeah, I've been working with business leaders for the last 20 years. Um, I started out my career on Wall Street as a securities analyst and then transitioned into psychology. Um, I joke that I used to analyze uh, income statements and balance sheets, and now I analyze uh, business leaders um, and how they make decisions. So when Tony was writing this book uh, that was originally going, it was originally conceived as the, a, a book titled The Anxiety Contagion, which refers to the anxiety crisis that uh, exists in, in the United States. Um, many people are are actually unaware of that, but it's been going on well before the pandemic. And um, we decided to partner on this just because we wanted to get underneath that and try to understand not only why it was happening, but also what people can actually do about it. Because obviously you can go and get medication and that's what we see millions and millions of people doing. But we both felt that there was an opportunity for people to take greater control of their lives and also of their mental health. And so we wrote this book um, to get into that and to give people some tools to, to help them better manage, better adapt and, and take control. And usually if we have a topic like this on the show, I think a certain population of the audience that will say, well, is, is there really a problem with anxiety or are we just um, more aware of it? Is it more of an education? Maybe was it always occurring, but no one talked about it? And, you know, is there really an increase? So I'm curious, is there an increase? I mean, we could certainly argue social media and many different factors are different. Um, but then again, you know, like my grandparents lived through the depression and, and, and a world war. And I mean, their life wasn't, wasn't easy, you know, as well. So is, which one is it, or is it some combination of that? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. And, uh, and, and I was a bit dubious myself, you know, thinking like, is this thing really climbing over the years? Um, but if you go back, there are data sets, uh, thousands and thousands 
of examples and uh, research of people uh, climbing in terms of the anxiety they report decade after decade. It goes back actually to the late 1930s when they been, and it just keeps ticking upward. And so mm. we've got sort of similar measures across time that, that we've been able to see in the literature. And, and lo and behold, people at least are reporting higher levels of anxiety. At the end of the day, anxiety isn't what happens to you. It's how you perceive what's happening to you and then your body and your brain's reaction to it. And maybe it's a lot to do with uh, the high speed world and the, the high competition, um, the digital age, uh, the information overload. You know, maybe that's a piece of it. Uh, it's probably a lot of things, but uh, we top out uh, in the world almost year after year at the highest rates of uh, reported anxiety. And you bring a really you're, important you're, point, though, Chris, which is that you know, anxiety is always, it's a part of the human experience, right? Anxiety is a normal human emotion. We feel it. Um, it serves a useful purpose. So it's, it's part of who we are. It's part of the fabric. So your grandparents, my grandparents, everyone has experienced anxiety in their lives. The question becomes, is it, is it debilitating? Is it, is it too much? Is it, um, and, and the data suggests that it, 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 it is. Um, and the World Health Organization, just by way of example, ranked the United States as the most anxious nation on earth a few years ago. And fully 40% of Americans carry around an, an anxiety disorder clinical diagnosis. Lots of people are getting medicated for anxiety in the United States. And the, the, the reality is, and then I'll let you react and ask your questions, is anxiety is contagious. It spreads from person to person. So if I'm an incredibly anxious person and you spend a lot of time with me, the chances are your anxiety level is going to go up. So, you know, we kind of had a, a, you know, a bit of a, a pandemic occurring with anxiety in the United States well before COVID came along sort of the sea we swim in. And the question is why? And, and, and obviously, what, what, what can we do about it? Yeah. And so I wanted to just categorize, make sure I understood and from the data that Tony was mentioning, it sounds like it's the United States, right? So I'm curious, you know, are there other places in the world where there hasn't gone up consistently or where they have, you know, maybe at least they figured it out and leveled it off, right? I noticed as an adult, and I noticed for my kids as they grew up and became adults, like the, we weren't, were never bored. And I used to be bored as a kid. And I felt like that was a time to reset, think about things, to get closure on things. It's just to kind of like, you had time to, to think about whatever it is. Think about what stupid thing you did and how you weren't going to do that again. You know, what, how you could have avoided those series of mistakes or whatever. But like now there's no time for that for many, many reasons. So I'll, I'll let you respond. You know, is it, is there geographical differences and is this, you know, in some ways about not having that time to, to sit and reflect and reset. Well, you, you put your finger on an incredibly important part of it, which is uh, if we don't have time to reflect or even feel boredom, which by the way is sort of what happens before you go on to something else and usually have a really terrific creative moment, then guess what happens? The brain just can't process all the information and it sets off the emotional systems. And then those start saying, hey, you might be under threat. Something's going on here. You've got too much going on. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to start to release adrenaline. And then in its wake will be cortisol. And before you know it, we're biologically in that territory. And there isn't that time to catch your breath. You know, to answer your question about different countries. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. America is a leader uh, for good and for bad. And, uh, you know, we would see, for example, Europe and Northern Europe and, and certainly a lot of other, you know, really similar industrialized and, and, and information-based uh, cultures and, 
in large cities, uh, you know, not showing these numbers when, you know, World Health Organization takes a look every year, but they have either caught up or they're really close. And, and a lot of it may have to do with uh, the media information overload, sort of the ease at which our minds are, are, you know, instantaneously stimulated by so many things that are happening in the world all at once without, to your point, that moment of where you pause, you collect yourself. Another thing that's happening, it's related. This is what Paul and I discovered as we, as we dug deep for this book is, you know, one of the reasons people feel that they don't have a lot of control, agency in their life, is that they're kind of immobilized by a lot of this anxiety or a sense that the world is acting on them and they can't act for themselves. And we're indoors a lot and we're on screens a lot and we're physiologically not much in motion. And we find that people who are outdoors more actually do better. They showed higher rates of agency. They were able to feel less stressed. Outdoor movement in particular in natural spaces may be, it turns out, the key to all this. I remember having a particularly stressful few years of my life and I took to gardening. Now, not just a little bit of gardening, but like I did a massive tomato farm. Like I turned my entire side yard into like more tomatoes than my entire neighborhood could ever eat. But it was all like, you know, here I'm doing more activity, right? I'm stressed out. I'm doing more. But you're right. I felt better being outside. I was working in the soil. I had, you know, this place to put my brain that was a little bit, could be bored in a sense. I had to be out there tending it every day and looking at them and fixing them. And and I sort of have, you know, recounted that to people in the past who have been stressed out because usually what they end up doing is just feels like many, many things that aren't necessarily helpful to their stress or anxiety levels. I mean, they're trying to deal with it, but it's sort of, a, I don't know. It's like, I'm bleeding. Um, can someone please get me, you know, an ice pack? It's like, no, you. <laughs> it's close, but not quite, right? What other things can we do to maybe help help ourselves stay stable and grounded and, uh, and maybe deal with whatever we're dealing with at this moment? Well, Chris, you're ahead of the pack because what you did in terms of, you know, getting outdoors and working in your garden, intuitively, I think you must have just gravitated toward that strategy. And it's a very effective one. Um, you know, there's actually a school of therapy in Japan for depression and anxiety that has people working outdoors, doing physical labor um, as a treatment for anxiety and depression. And guess what? It actually works. It actually is proven to, to have benefits. You know, we're kind of a, an instant gratification type society you know, and, you know, that's our, that's in some ways a bit of our strength, but it's also a weakness because people want instantaneous cures and there's nothing like instant um, that, that, you know, than a pill. Right. And so the idea that, well, I, I feel anxiety, I, it's unpleasant. I don't like it. You know, well, just give me a pill for it and, and boom, I can feel better. That's all well and good. And it actually, you know, can be helpful at times for people who are debilitated by anxiety issue becomes Pills wear off, their effectiveness wears off, their line kind of skills or, ha- or do what you did, which is actually take matters into their own hands and find a creative approach to better adapt to whatever stresses they're, they're experiencing in their lives. Um, you know, you just, you run through all the pills um, and, and at a certain point, as I said before, the poop out effect of, of psychotropic medication, you're going to run out of road. And then what do you do? So there are a lot of things, and I'll let Tony talk about, you know, um, you know, what some of those things are that actually help people get grounded, stable, and um, be more effective. And, and maybe before you do that real quick, Tony, I do, we need to take a quick commercial break here for just uh, 30 seconds, 
And then we'll come back and get your thoughts there on the Talent Talk radio show. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Don't forget to go to TalentTalkRadio.com and you can subscribe there to look at all of our past episodes and find out more about our guests. And of course, you can do that as well on, by following us on Twitter at peopleg 2 we have all of the best one-liners, links to bios, books, and anything else. Speaking of books, my guests today, Drs. Uh, Paul Napper and, uh, and Anthony uh, Rayo, their book, The Power of Agency, you should definitely check out. And we're, I think we're going back here to uh, Tony to kind of finish the discussion on some other strategies and things that we, we can be doing in these situations where maybe we're having high anxiety or high stress to maybe actually make a difference. Yeah, if your stress comes and goes a bit, peaks and you know what's causing it, by all means, uh, do the, the two or three things I'm about to lay out. Now, if they're longer than that, then you have to do a bit of a deeper approach, which involves changing the way you think about the world. So the, the first two or three things I'm going to offer up for folks um, actually are uh, first three principles in, in, uh, that we believe promote uh, agency, our ability to take charge, take command of our lives and make better decisions, put those into action. And uh, we've already covered them slightly, which is which is uh, really interesting here. Uh, one is, are you controlling what's getting into your head? You know, first thing you should ask yourself, like, what just got into my head? It's probably going to be screen or digital related, and it's probably overstimulating that brain. But getting yourself to a quiet spot is sort of mission number one. It's a lot more involved in that. But that's the first thing I ask people to do. What just got in your head? See if you can get to a quieter space and get off the screens at least for a little bit. And the second thing is, were you around? Like who's been around you lately? What meeting were you just in? Um, and did you, as Paul was just implying, you know, earlier or telling us that you catch other people's emotional colds. Like, so you, so, so why are you so stressed? You know, it may be that the relationships we have are feeding that the way other people think, the way they behave, highly contagious. We take them in. The third thing is you're not getting enough movement. And we know Americans just don't get enough movement compared to a lot of other countries. So, so when you put those first three together right there, you have what I think are the sort of the legs to the stool that help everyone stay stable and grounded. Now, that's not forever. That's not going to take care of everything in the long run. But if you don't have a clear mind, if you aren't associating with people who are supportive, and if you're not physically healthy, in shape, getting outdoor space and light, then you're not going to be able to move on to the, the higher level things, uh, which are our cognitive principles where then it's about the decisions you make and carrying them out. Yeah, I feel like your points one and two often kind of go hand in hand. I've noticed there's sometimes people that just almost seem addicted to 
anxiety, they addicted to this, like things going wrong and talking about, I mean, they even watch every show they watch is something terrible happened. And every, right. Every news article is what some, it, it, there's never any sort of like counterbalance to that. Right. I mean, there are th times we need to read important articles and know what's going on in the world. And, you know, we, we can't avoid some of those things, but at the same time, you have to have some, some sort of balance, I guess, but you're right. You're those, those people that are, we might call them toxic. We might call them just, you know, whatever it is, but yeah, they can bring you down. And how do you avoid that? Or how do you get, get around that? Are there certain things we should be thinking about? Because, you know, it might be your boss and you're stuck at that job. It might, it might be your spouse. It might be your parents. It might be someone in your life. That it's hard for you to avoid completely. You know, they're just, are there just things that we need to do or do we need to just try to get out of those situations? What, what, what's the advice there for our listeners? You raise an important point, which is there, there are some people that it's harder to move away from, you know, certainly family members, um, you, you know, clearly your boss is someone um, you, if you had to, <laughs> you can move away from, right? You can, you can quit your job and find a new position. What we recommend for, you know, and we don't recommend at the first sign of, of a problem or trouble in a relationship that you cut someone loose, but rather, you know, you need to, you need to deal with interpersonal problems as they arise in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a candid way, in a respectful way and a constructive way by putting them on the table, you need to set good boundaries for yourself, which is to say, you know, I don't want to be treated like this. I, I'm not, I don't, I, I don't accept that. You need to, you know, try to come at this again and, you know, behave differently toward me. Um, you, you need to set limits and you need to set good boundaries with people you know, this is what happens in relationships where uh, they actually become abusive relationships over time. They slip sort of into that whole mode. Um, so we need to, uh, when we experience relationships that are that are going off track, we just need to you know try to get them back on track. And we can usually do that if, as long as the person we're dealing with is a fairly reasonable human being. So really, that's the more important thing for relationships that are truly toxic that are truly destructive or you know abusive you need to move away from those relationships even if it happens to be a family member if someone's abusing you that is not a person that you should be spending time with regardless of who they are so you know i think it involves understanding how important that is because agency which again we haven't really defined that here but agency is our capacity to take command of our lives through making good choices and putting those choices into action. We're around people who, who drag us down, tear us apart. Um, our level of agency is going to suffer. We're not going to feel empowered. We're not going to feel encouraged. We're not going to feel inspired to take charge of our lives. And that's what can, and can happen. So I think that successful people really recognize that principle. They understand how important it is to surround themselves with positive people, people who challenge them, people who, you know, can teach them something and people who don't, who surround themselves with negative, you know, critical, you know, sort of overbearing people, you know, they lose their power. I mean, they literally lose their, their personal agency. And I, I'd love to add, uh, Chris, if, uh, in fact, in this particular principle, we call it associate selectively, uh, we talk a lot about have your own personal board of advisors. Uh, select the people that you know, complement or add to the things that you're going to need in your life. And these are people that they're a text or a phone call away. and You get to know them better. You may also have a skill set that, that helps them. 
And these are the people that we, we lean on, we rely on, but before we make decisions, if we're ever in a jam, we want to be able to have sort of that, that we used to say, what, you go to the Rolodex, you know, this is sort of like the idea that you have these people within reach. Think about what you need in your life. And so that way you're not, you're not just only by yourself. So, you know, with all this kind of going on and everything that you're, you both have sort of laid out for us here today, does that also mean that maybe it's harder for us to make good decisions? Is that more difficult now than it ever has been? Because, you know, I mean, as you guys were talking, I'm thinking through several decisions that I've made this year. And yet still, there are some good decisions I've still not made, right? I'm still not exercising like I should be, despite, you know, being stuck in the house. And, you know, I'm not, I haven't been willing to totally change my life to get the new activities in there, right? And it's become harder because there's the stressors and there's the amount of work. And how does that playing out right now, especially, I guess, maybe during the pandemic? Is it is it harder for people to make those good decisions? Well, it is hard for people, but it really depends greatly on this the individual set of circumstances that you know are in your life. So what we found in the pandemic, and we've met with um, literally dozens and dozens of companies and addressed their audience of, of leaders and managers, everyone's in a somewhat different situation where, where people are very isolated people who live alone, small apartments in, in, this, in the city. Um, they've been, you know, kind of at working completely from home. For people who, who struggle with isolation, it's really been hard. They have really been in a tough spot. For people who um, have a little more physical space in, in their living situation and live with other people, they actually have access to more support, social support, which is really important. So, Certainly, the pandemic has uh, made things more challenging in all kinds of ways for all of us. But, you know, the principles of agency that we discovered that actually help people to make better quality decisions and, and, and then more confidently put those decisions into action um, apply in the pandemic. And once we come out of the pandemic, they will still apply. I mean, these are kind of evergreen principles. Um, so but to your point, is it harder it was harder well before the pandemic. I mean, what we argue in our book is that most people in the United States, and this is probably true for most of Western society, most of us are cognitively overwhelmed. Uh, most people struggle to keep up. Um, the cognitive demands, the thinking demands, in other words, of our modern life, of, of just the, the amount of information available to us and what's expected of us in terms of making sense of that information and making decisions based on it, it's overwhelming for most people, for many people at least. I work with very successful leaders and many of them have moments of overwhelm, probably more frequent periods of overwhelm now than five years ago or certainly than 10 years ago. So how we deal with information, how we in some ways use it and don't allow it you know, to use us and overwhelm us becomes a really defining part of modern life and being successful. We, we have been overwhelmed, Chris, for a long time, cognitively, just in terms of our thinking skills, but there's a lot of things we can do about that to ensure that we actually make you, the best use of the fact that we have incredible information available, available to us today that we didn't have 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, but it's, it, it is a challenge. What we wrote about in the book is, is how to make use of that in the best possible way, whether you're a business leader, 
whether you're, you know, you, 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 you run, you, you work out of the home and run your family and you're raising your kids or whatever you happen to be doing, you know, it's all, all about the choices you make and how you put those choices into action. That's what defines each and every one of us as human beings. And it, it is at the core of what, what agency means. That's kind of our, our you know, our, our mission is to help people to develop greater agency in their lives. Well, we've talked through quite a bit of the, I guess, what's difficult for people and the anxiety and the stress. And maybe if we take a little of our own advice here from the our conversation today, and let's maybe focus for a moment on what can we do? What are the good things uh, that people are doing? And maybe we can start with decision-making. You know, what are people who are, are good at making better decisions or good decisions? What are they doing differently? What, what should we be learning or taking away from their process? I mean, I, I think we could jump in with they're more curious. They're open to learning. It, it, it That actually jumped to mind, Chris, when you were talking about, I think I'm going to go in and, um, you know, garden. I'm going to have this experience. I'm going to I'm really going to dive in. I'm going to dive in deeply, and I'm, I'm going to immerse myself in this, uh, which is a really amazing learning opportunity that's multi-sensory, right? It's not just mm-hmm. visual and occasionally auditory, which is what we get on screens, but multi-sensory experience and learning all new things. Uh, we find that people who feel that they have a lot more control in their lives uh, and, and are more efficacious, are able to make the changes they set out to make, that's one of the things that we found that they do really, really well, that they position themselves as a learner. In addition to that, Chris, um, the, the people who are best at decision-making also understand how emotions work, and they also understand how human beliefs affect our capacity to make decisions. The best decision-makers understand the, ro- the how to use emotion to help make decisions and how to avoid allowing emotions to uh, interfere with good decision making. And similarly, they, as Tony said about positioning themselves as learners, they're open to modifying their beliefs as they learn more. Mm-hmm. They don't operate with a fixed set of beliefs. They may have a very fixed set of values, personal values. Those are right. sort of overarching uh, values that remain pretty constant. But their beliefs change as they learn and grow. Fixed beliefs are generally the root to people having very fixed potential. Most successful people update their beliefs as they go along. The other thing is, you know, people who make good decisions understand how their brains work. At least they, you know, understand the basics of how their brains work. So one thing that I would say to you as you were gardening in, in, in your backyard one of the things that was going on while you were doing that is that your brain was working. There were problems you were working out while you were weeding the garden and, and watering those tomatoes. There was a lot of thinking and reflecting happening inside of your brain. That's how our brains work. We actually do a lot of our thinking when we're doing something else, um, when we're taking some time to reflect and not necessarily, you know, stare at our computer or analyze data. So what people who make good decisions do is they know how to make use of intuition and they also know how to engage in critical thinking and use their more analytical parts of their brain. And both our intuition and our critical thinking, our analytical thinking are skills that we can develop. And the people who make the best decisions They've developed their intuitive capabilities, and they've also developed their critical thinking skills. 
they've learned how to do that. Most people have not taken the time to, to, to try to do that. And it impacts living in the world we live in today, where it's expected. It's expected that we can make sense of all the data that comes in our front doors. And, you know, if we fall down on the job, um, you know, the quality of our life deteriorates. So it's very important for people today to understand how we make decisions as human beings and how we can actually learn to make better decisions, which is really not that hard if you just take a little time to, to do it. You know, Chris, I was thinking also, like if you asked um, people, say in a work uh, situation, how did you arrive at that? Like, 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 what was your thinking on that? Sometimes people just look at you and stare at you. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I just arrived at it, like somehow magically. And it's one of the most important things we do as human beings. It's one of the most unique things we do, the ability to think, think clearly, step outside ourselves. We call that metacognition. We talk a lot about that. You know, can you ask that question, like, how is my thinking? Do I even have a system? Do I use a framework for how I approach these complex tasks? Do I reach out to people? Um, Do I make decisions in the same spot? Do I choose different places? Um, You know, all these kinds of things. When you think about it, too, like, we should be teaching this to kids. Uh, early on, um, you know, decisions are are absolutely what gets us from point A to point B. And it's all about the ultimate sense that we do have control uh, efficacy uh, in our lives. I want to give you a very quick anecdote, Chris, which is that we interviewed for our book, a physician here in Boston, who is part of the Harvard medical system, an absolutely brilliant physician with decades of experience. He's written multiple books. He's written multiple articles for the New Yorker magazine. I'm just a really unbelievably um, smart and uh, insightful man. He did a book, interviewed physicians, you know, some of his fellow uh, physicians, some of the best people in, 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 the, in the field. And he asked them one simple question, which is, how do you make decisions? How, how do you, how do you, how, what's your, what is your process? And you want to know something really surprising? He was stunned. When he asked that question to all these successful physicians, not one of them could really give a good answer to that question. They really had a hard time articulating how they actually uh, think, how they actually use their reasoning skills. So what he learned from that is that, you know, there's this huge opportunity, even among some of the most successful people, for people to really, you know, take a harder look at how they actually think through problems, how they actually think. Do they use a process? Do they have a framework? What is it? And the, I'll tell you one very simple thing, and then and let you ask more questions. One of the, the simplest thing that we advise people to do when you're making an important decision, a very important decision to your business or to your own in your personal life, slow it down. That is the thing we learned from all of the most successful decision makers is on the big ticket items, the most important decisions, slow it down. Think about the process you're using. Think of whether there's a framework, a decision-making framework that can help you. But the best decision makers, that's what they, that's one of the things they do. Uh, and they, they do that very well. They never rush. They right. never rush. And they don't on the do big, it on, on the big things. And they don't do it on impulse. Well, there's been a, a, a lot of what you guys said it reminded me of, of quite a few books. So certainly I want to make sure people uh, go to check out your book, The Power of Agency. Uh, as you were talking about uh, what we maybe we should be teaching at school, you might, may be happy to know my wife's a teacher and 
that finally Carol Dweck's work, Mindset, uh, her book, it has, has really finally kind of come into the school system in a more significant way, which is really great. There's, that book is, has some really amazing uh, life lessons and thoughts. And uh, my favorite thing out of that book is you know, when they went in and told a teacher, this is the smartest class in the school, and it wasn't the smartest class in the school. And those kids performed way better when the teacher believed they were the smartest class, right? So our opinions of other people somehow make this new world, right? If we can go in and believe that this is going to be the best group I'm ever going to manage or the best class I'm ever going to teach, right? How different our own reactions and perceptions are. It's, it's kind of amazing. So it's really kind of cool placebo effect, right? And also, um, well, there was another book that I was thinking of and now I've forgotten. But the other thing that's been really big since uh, COVID happened uh, in the last year, I have done over 70 trainings, I think, for companies that were needed help with how to go remote and what they should be thinking about, what they should be doing. And I would say the most controversial thing that I was teaching companies, and so I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is I told them to stop having one-on-one meetings. I think that we can make better decisions in groups. We can communicate better in groups. We can figure out what's happening and support each other in group. I mean, this is why there's group therapy and why there's, you know, there's so many group things. But I think in business, we have this idea with Hollywood or someone has given us this romantic idea that Steve Jobs sat in a room all by himself and invented everything, right? And did all of these wonderful things that Einstein was all by himself in a cabin creating, you know, our understanding of of physics. And, And that's just not the case. Should we be more intentional? Should we be doing more things as a group? Is that a strategy that maybe good leaders should be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll let Paul take this in a minute, but um, but absolutely, absolutely. There is no way that we can solve complex problems by ourselves. And it is a myth. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a Hollywood-like uh, thing that we'd all like to think, oh, yes, you know, we just sat there with the canvas and this beautiful work of art or something as chills a lot of stone. It has never worked that way. No writer has created a book all on their own. It just doesn't right. work. Um, and then you have to, though, assemble people and they have to feel safe, right? They have to feel like they have the ability. First of all, you want great range of people and talent and ways and experiences of the world in that room when you are meeting with them virtually or not. You want a diversity, if you will. But then you have to make sure that you know we don't make people feel unsafe. Psychological safety is, is a term that's often uh, talked about. And then if you're a leader, how you facilitate that, what you do in terms of getting through and this relates a little bit to Carol Dweck's work as well. Do I have the bandwidth to make a lot of errors and just say things off and make mistakes? And if I do, I'm more likely to be a lot more creative and fluid in my thinking. And I'm going to likely, in a group setting, uh, solve a very complex problem. One of the things that we've been, this is in, in line with what you're doing, Chris. One of the things we've been recommending to, to business leaders is, is probably the most important thing for them to do right now to help their companies to adapt to all the change happening both with COVID and changes in the marketplace is create clarity, create clarity for the people around you. And clarity in this sense is simply making sure that everyone in the organization, everyone on the team you lead knows where we're trying to go, where we're trying to get to as a business and what is each person's specific role in helping the business to get there? And when clarity is high, engagement goes up, performance goes up, you know, business results improve. So we, we've been encouraging that. And 
with decision making, I think the single most important thing is, as Tony said, and as you are advocating, get the people you you most need to make a decision in the room at the time. And whether that's, you know, and, and so we've been advising people to break, you know, whether that's the full team, it's you as a leader and all of your direct reports, whether it's you as the leader and two of your direct reports, because they're the ones that, that have the, the most relevant information, ensure that you have port and you're getting enough variety in terms of information and perspectives. And then, you know, don't be afraid to be challenged. If you're a leader, let yourself be challenged. Have someone play the devil's, the role of devil's advocate. Have people ask the important questions, which are things like, what if we're wrong? What might we be missing here? Those are really important questions. And the leaders who are willing to ask those tough questions and actually hear the answers to those tough questions make better decisions. Yeah, I've often seen if we can practice it amazes me if you ever did sports as a kid, you literally practice more than you ever play the real game, right? You, this is how you swing the bat. This is how you run down the base. This is how you kick the ball, whatever, right? And the coach tells you exactly how you're supposed to do it. You practice how you're supposed to do it over and over again. And there's a clarity about what you're supposed to do to, to win the game, right? Or to be successful. Then you go and actually do it. Yet in business, it's like, no, we're only in a game, we're in the game the whole time and there is no practice. So no messing up. There's no, right. And we should be practicing how we meet and practicing how we're going to disagree and how we're going to come to conclusions so that we have that psychological safety. Otherwise it's like you're under the gun the whole time, right? It's just that that kind of that, that tension. We do a little bit of practicing at my company with with some meetings. We, We do call them tsunami planning meetings, which is what would happen if, Right. And we throw an idea out there. We do spend 30 minutes on what if our business doubled? What if there was a pandemic in the world? What if, you know, and we talk through that. And so people get to see, well, Tom isn't going to interrupt me and Jane isn't going to tell me I'm stupid. And I'm not going to get fired for disagreeing with my boss. And we can have those, those safe situations. But I don't know. I, I'd love to get your thoughts. But I'm just, it seems so odd to me that we spend our entire work world. In, in live action mode, right? Instead of ever in practice mode. Well, it's a great point. I think that agency is really fundamentally about engaging in independent thought and independent action. And, you know, psych- psychologists, philosophers, sociologists have, have talked about this concept of human agency for many decades and written about it. And there's been a lot of, a lot of literature on the fact that most human beings have pretty limited agency. That is, they they follow the herd. They don't make truly independent decisions. And so they're more reactive. And so I think to to increase your level of agency as a business, as a leader, I love this sort of tsunami planning. It's it's, can we take time away from some of the day-to-day action, the day-to-day execution and and reactive stuff we have to do and and think and reflect and, and wonder. You know, and and those are important things for businesses, always for businesses to do. And again, you know, spending time in 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 sort of a retreat, whatever that retreat might look like, just to create some space for reflection and for people to come together, you know, generate new ideas, super valuable. And, you know, I think for a lot of businesses, when you know when the going gets tough, and you know, businesses are very much in reactive mode. 
that can get missed. And so I think getting to a bit of a balance where you're you're executing and you're 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 full on in execution mode, but balancing that with some of these times where you're doing what you said, which is tsunami planning, and which is you know let's try to engage other parts of our brain to think about our business, think about yeah. where we are, and think about how we might grow and 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 where we might take some risks, you know, some calculated risks. And that's because really, I think, what why uh, Agile and, and Scrum have been so successful is because they have these built-in, you know, they have a planning meetings, they have meetings to to reflect on what worked, and they have there's some of these built-in things. And I, the if I remember correctly, yeah, the framework, absolutely, yeah. right. And so you you are sort of scheduled to talk about how did we do, and then you're scheduled to go and plan, which is in a traditional business, I I, I don't see that right. It's just sort of go. Um, and, and we're, we're stumbling as, as we're trying to make it happen. Now, obviously, under, understanding your, your concepts of agency uh, is really important. Is there another thing out there that would be sort of a silver bullet for anyone trying to make good decisions? I know for me, the more we can talk to our people about cognitive biases and making sure they understand where they can get tripped up and where their brain is sort of trying to help them but screwing them up, <laughs> you know, what other things should they should we be thinking about and making good decisions? Could I just jump yeah, in on the, um, on, on the bias end of it? Most of our thinking is biased. Most of our thinking is shortcuts. And it tends to be often irrational and rarely updated, automatic. Uh, so it explains a lot <laughs> when you look at what can happen in, in poor decision-making. Um, we talk a lot about practicing empathy, uh, not just to be nice. That's not what it's about. It's like a cognitive skill. Can you suspend yourself, your thinking, and try to imagine the thinking or and perspective of another person. In doing that, people really are challenging a lot of their bias thinking. They're also slowing down that through reflection. Um, we talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about people sort of exposing their thought chain, you know, not just sort of saying what you need people to do, but sort of telling them, how did I arrive at that decision? And again, it allows people to sort of stop you and say, wait a minute, you made a leap here that doesn't make as much sense. What was that based on? And that's where a lot of these biases really do distort our, our final decision-making. And I'll just add to that, you know, that, um, you know, in terms of decision-making, one of the things to, to pay attention to is, like you said, the bias that gets in the way. If you review the list of human biases, it can be pretty depressing, um, <laughs> but necessary work, because I think, I think if you know what are some of the most common pitfalls that we fall into, it helps you not fall into them so frequently. And then the last point is engage with your team on after action reviews. Talk about how did we make th this decision and that decision you know, in the past? What was our decision-making process? What worked really well? What didn't work so well? What did we miss? And above all, you know, create, as Tony said, psychological safety so that it's safe for people to offer dissenting views and to challenge each other. Because one of the things we know is when we get challenged by other people, we make better decisions and bias is less prevalent. Well, I certainly suggest if anyone is interested in knowing more about cognitive biases, I would suggest The Undoing Project, which is a great book. You can also read Think, Thinking Fast and Slow, but it's a bit more slow and a bit more boring of a read. And it's about the same topic and the same people. Um, so I suggest the guy who wrote Moneyball instead read his, his, his version, The Undoing Project. How can people find out more about the two of you if they're interested in your books, in your works? 
What's the best way for people to, to find out more and get engaged? With Come visit us at, uh, you know, powerofagency.com and uh, those will link you to everything we're working on, what we're, you know, and it'll give you some examples of, uh, you know, some of the chapters, um, the concepts, it'll walk you through. Um, and then um, it's also a way to get to our individual, um, you can reach us specifically as well as our individual websites. And there's a small, there's a small test on there too, a small subtest you can take to um, test your ability to use the agency principles. Cool, cool. Not a test to get on the site, but test on, okay, got it. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you both being on the show today. I, I always love to have kind of a change in format and to have you both on and to talk through all this. Uh, there's so many important things that the uh, two of you have, have, have brought to us through your book and through your works that every leader should be thinking about, every employee should be thinking about, every person should be thinking about for that matter. Uh, in, in their lives. So thank you both for, for being on the show and, and for doing the work that you're doing. And I uh, would love to have you both come back at some point and give us an update on um, what else we should be thinking about in our lives. Hey, thanks so much, Chris. It's really been a pleasure talking with you this afternoon. Thanks, Chris. It was awesome. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into today's show. Hopefully you've gained something that you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.